um, it's good to be here and I get to wrap up the series that you have been working through about David, King David, a man after God's own heart. That's what we called this series, didn't we? Um, and through 1 Samuel mostly and then finished last week um, from 2 Samuel 6. So how about before I go any further, I pray that God is with us as we open his word today. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would be with us, uh, be speaking to us by your Spirit as we open your word. Uh, give us clear minds and especially give us soft hearts that we may welcome the changes that your Spirit might want to bring to our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What we haven't done is read uh, our psalm today and I would like us to read it before we start so I will I will read Psalm 51 if you have Bibles there that would be really good I'm not going to put all the verses up as we go so if you've got a Bible there to look at that's a good thing even if it's on your phone it still works if it's on your phone uh, Psalm 51 I'm reading from the NIV version it says uh have mercy on me, O God. This is David speaking. Uh, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity create in me a pure heart O God and renew a, a steadfast spirit within me do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a, a willing spirit to sustain me then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Here's the word of the Lord. Interesting psalm. I mean, you're familiar with this one? Many of us would be. It's probably my favourite, although I say that every now and then. 
about different ones. Uh, but the way the psalm ends is interesting. Like it's talking about all these things we can relate to and then it finishes by talking about bulls being offered on the altar, which is a little bit outside our experience. But that's okay. We'll get to that. Um, so here we are. We finished this series about David. We've called it After God's Own Heart. So you might notice that I've called today's message After God's Own Heart with a question mark. Okay, just as a way of finishing up, we've been looking at his faithfulness through 1 Samuel mostly. And then last week, uh, John pretty much wrapped up the series, apart from what I'm doing today, looking at 2 Samuel 6. And can you remember? That was where, because David really wanted to make sure God was at the center of his kingdom, he brought the Ark of the Covenant. He was trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. Do you remember that? And what the Ark represented, God's presence with his people, all of that. And so, you know, this is a good, kind of a good thing that David wanted to do. And we, we also saw David re-engaging with the holiness of God through that and through God's mercy and the joy of knowing him, through the lessons he learnt as he brought that ark back into Jerusalem. Do you remember bits of that if you were here? I won't kind of go back over all of that now, but the picture we get of David at this point is pretty good. It's pretty good. And that story about David being pretty good king um, continues over the next couple of chapters. And maybe, I don't know if any of you got to it, but last week uh, John did say in preparation for today you might want to read some of the story that follows on after 2 Samuel 6 verses 7 through to 12 I'm not going to ask you to let us know whether you did it or not but I do want to kind of review a little bit of what happens there and if you I mean if you got your Bible there you could open 2 Samuel 7 and say what are some of the good things we see about David in 2 Samuel 7 and maybe if you read it you can remember what, what, what does David go on to do that's good? Anybody know? I'll be, I'll be pretty impressed if anyone... I, I can give you the answer if you don't know, but anyone want to... So 2 Samuel 7, right, just after this thing with the, the ark, that's where, that's where David says he wants to build a house for God. So it's him really wanting to honour God. And the prophet Nathan, of course, comes in and says, actually, David, you don't need to do that. Um, and Solomon his son is the one who ends up doing that but we also have Nathan um, promising David you know God promising David through Nathan the prophet that God would make him great and he would bless Israel through him and do all these good things give him an eternal kingdom and then we see David's prayer in in chapter 7 there where he he, he gives thanks to God with this humble heart, asking for his ongoing blessing. I mean, this is where David is at. This is where his heart is at. This is what he wants. And verse chapter 8, if you've got it there in front of you, anyone want to tell us the kind of thing we see in chapter 8? Yeah, all these military vi victories. The Philistines and others, there are others. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of out of our... It kind of feels a bit weird and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that in terms of how we understand God there but this was part of God's promise to make Israel a great kingdom at that time and establish them as this kind of holy set apart kingdom and bless them and so on and, and David is leading Israel into this kind of vision that God has for them there and in chapter 8 verse 15 I think I've got it up here I don't have many of the verses up on the side but there it is 
A bit of a summary. David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. So he's looking pretty good. He's flourishing as the king of Israel, and it seems like pretty much it's for all the right reasons. He's looking pretty good. He's, and remember, this. I mean, that's why right at the beginning when Saul was kind of going that way, and Nathan says, well, I've got someone else for you. Can you remember how he described this one who was coming, David? He said, David, he's found someone who would be a man after my own heart and a man after God's own heart Samuel said so he kind of seems to fit that fits when we read this part of the story about David and Paul the apostle he repeats this idea later on in Acts Um, he's recounting kind of a, a summary of the history of Israel and I've got that one up here for you Acts 13 22 the apostle Paul says after removing Saul he made David their king God testified concerning him, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. He will do everything I want him to do. Wow. Okay. Some of you know where we're going with this, don't you? Right? Until, right? Chapter 11. What what happens in 2 Samuel 11? Who knows? (laughs) Don't blame the girl. David was the one with all the power. Sorry? Yes, he should have got down. Anyway, what did he do? He, um, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And you can read the story in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. And like it's worse than that. Like Her husband was away risking his life as a faithful soldier for David, right? For Israel, when he takes advantage of this man's wife and um, when, she, when she falls pregnant he tries to cover it up doesn't he by calling Uriah back just to kind of say how's it going out there on the battlefield hoping he'll go home and sleep with his wife so that you know it'll look like it's his child but Uriah is so faithful he won't even do that he says well, I can't go home while my while the other men are out fighting and so on and so he sleeps outside on a mat with the soldiers or something it says do you remember uh, so what does David do next he sends him to the front line arranges things so that Uriah will be killed in battle right it's completely outrageous a man after God's own heart how does that fit we all sin not such a big deal (laughs) a big deal how does it fit with a man after God's own heart it does not fit is the answer it does not fit Um, I'm not making excuses for David here Um, yeah so what happens in chapter 12 do you know do you know what happens in chapter 12 Nathan comes along the prophet Nathan comes along and he tells him a story doesn't he so you can assume here David is happily going on with his life kind of having done this thing Um, but Nathan tells him this story and you know basically about a rich man and a poor man rich man has heaps of flocks and herds and things and the poor man has one little baby ewe lamb that he raises by hand and then the rich man has a traveler come along and instead of using one of his many kind of animals to feed, you know, have a big party with, he takes the, the one lamb of the 
the poor man to feed the traveler, right? And so Nathan tells David this story. Nathan's a clever guy, isn't he? And David, of course, goes, that's terrible. That man deserves to die. And Nathan says, well, that's you, right? That's what happens, isn't it? And we're, we're told that at this point, David humbles himself. He humbles himself and he confesses his sin he confesses his sin is what it says so um, that's verse 13 of chapter 12 so that is the context for the psalm we just read right that's the background for David writing and speaking and presumably praying this psalm right so if you don't have it there in front of you, please open Psalm 51. And this is the, um, I've got the NIV version and others have similar thing. But right at the start, it says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Okay? So that's the context here. And so we go to the very beginning of the psalm. And where does it start? It starts with a cry from the only place it can start, isn't it? A cry for mercy. Verses 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So there it is. Nathan confronts David. David is humbled and he confesses uh, and we have this psalm and he starts with this desperate cry for mercy mercy but it's it's a big ask still blot away all my sins wash them away wash them away can you hear his heart what he yearns for here Uh, wash them away cleanse me he's so aware of just how dirty he is in his sin before the holiness of God and that's right he is filthy it's disgraceful uh, have you ever felt the need to cry out to God for mercy aware of your own you know, uh, filthiness before God uh, now you, you may or may not have done the kind of thing that uh, David has done um, but you know when we, when we think about who we are and when we think about the holiness of God and we have, have these images in the Bible that remind us we know God is merciful and, and loving but that remind us that he is a holy God and the one I don't know what comes to your mind but when I think of that I think of that image in Isaiah 6 when the prophet Isaiah is called do you know that one and he he has this vision and this amazing vision of God and and Isaiah is so struck by the holiness of God that he says woe to me I'm going to basically my version is I'm going to shrivel up and die because you're so holy and I'm so dirty compared to you right so so this is this is the holiness of God no matter who I mean we, we we know we are broken have you ever felt that need to cry out for mercy and uh, as, as it continues on we see that the, prob- the problem he's got is a serious one and, and there's no 
You know, there's no uh, pretending it isn't. Verses 3 to 6. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. David does not try to minimise his problem to get God to show him mercy, does he? Verse 3, he clearly acknowledges his sin. If we can go back to verse 3, we'll run through them. Yeah. I know my transgressions, my sin. He acknowledges, he acknowledges that he has fallen short of God's call on his life. Verse 4, it, it is true that he has caused great harm to Bathsheba and, and, and Uriah. He has done that. But the, the heart of it all is his rejection of God's rule in his life. He has trusted in his own wisdom and gone his own way. Uh, God would, of course, be completely justified in, in judging and punishing David, and he knows it. Verse 5, he, he knows that this, is, this wasn't just some dumb mistake. This goes to the heart of who he is. I was sinful at birth. I'm broken at my very core. Verse 6, you desired faithfulness. You taught me wisdom. The, the, the ugly, frightening contrast between God's call on his life, faithfulness, wisdom, and how he's gone. David makes no attempt to hide the seriousness of his sin problem. And uh, just reflecting on this, and the psalm does it well. If we can think of a notion of when something is meant to be beautiful but it ends up ugly uh, and one of the pictures that came to mind was the ocean the ocean can be a beautiful th I mean who loves the ocean you want to feel better about life go for a walk by the ocean uh, but then we all know you know because of humanity's sin there's some problems in our world and one of them would be you know you can walk along some stretches uh, beside the ocean and see just all this filth that's, and there's these problems about plastics in the ocean and when something beautiful ends up ugly um, it's just an image for you but the idea is that that is kind of like David he knows it. it was meant to be so good faithfulness and wisdom and yet this and the same for us Genesis 1 and 2 paints this picture that shows us that we were all meant to be special and beautiful like David. That's the story of creation. Uh, and yet, we are broken like David. That's the story of the fall, choosing to go our own way, just like Adam and Eve. And uh, something beautiful, in some ways, ends up kind of ugly. Um, do we recognise... The seriousness of our sin problem is what we need to what we're saying here uh, just like David it, what we may or may not have done may or may not be as serious as what David has done here 
but we all know don't we what Paul teaches in Romans chapter 3 verses 10 to 12 he kind of brings it home and this comes up a number of times through the scriptures Paul just brings it up again here he says there's no one righteous not even one no one who understands no one who seeks God all have turned away they've together become worthless there's no one who does good not even one he's quoting there but he's making a point right uh Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a problem we all have. It's a problem we all have. And, uh, you know, uh, it's horrible spending time in this space talking about this, but it's part of the story, right? Um, Sometimes I think we don't take sin very seriously. Would that be true? And I think one of the reasons Christians can go down that path is we go, well, because it's all about grace we can be forgiven so doesn't really matter right we, we don't earn God's approval by being particularly good so sin doesn't really matter is that right and sometimes we go that way don't we um, but we have to ask then don't, don't we what does that then say about our attitude towards God and the price he has paid so that we can be forgiven and did, did it not cost the beautiful son of God, Jesus, his very life, so that we can be forgiven? Uh, we would not want to presume upon that, would we? If we understand how much it has cost and the wonder of this gift, how can we not take sin seriously? Uh, if we're not taking sin seriously, is our faith real? So we're not saying here that we need to earn God's approval. We do not. We are forgiven. But if we then do not take sin seriously, that's kind of a question mark, isn't it? So, um, Philip Yancey, what's so amazing about grace? He talks about these kinds of things. Grace, the wonder of grace. But he says, at first a devious mind forms in the back of his... devious idea forms in the back of the mind is something I want yeah I know it's wrong but why don't I just go ahead anyway I can always get forgiveness later the idea grows into an obsession ultimately becomes a license for immorality that's just one way of describing the way we our minds can work now we can be we can be very good can't we at ignoring or justifying things that we want to ignore or justify I'm pretty good at it I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Uh, we are good at ignoring or justifying things that we want to ignore or justify. You know, notice, David didn't acknowledge his sin until Nathan confronted him with it. Right? Somehow, in his head and in his heart, he was either ignoring or justifying it. And, and wow, how could you do that? but he did actually I think we can all do that kind of kind of thing which brings us to think about maybe we need to be more willing here's one for you maybe we need to be more willing to be a little bit like Nathan for each other sometimes who likes pointing out other people's sins some people do I'm not talking about those people they need to stop right people who love criticizing others that's not what we're talking about here but we're talking about risky love the friend who is willing to point out 
when we're going down a path that isn't the right one, even though it might cost them something to tell us that. You know? If you want people to tell you you're doing the right thing all the time, go down the pub. There'll be plenty of people down there that, that, that will have a drink with you and tell you everything's fine. Right? But in the Christian community, we want encouragement, we want all that affirmation, but we also need to love each other enough to tell each other the truth sometimes uh, because that's what we need sometimes. But we do it in love and we do it with hearts that are very aware of our own sin, right? Get the log out of your own eye and all that kind of, kind of thing, right? But we need a bit more of that Nathan action in our life together. I don't think many of us really find that very easy. Okay, there's one for you to think about. Okay, um, so the, 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 the problem is a serious one, but the hope is a great one, okay? Look at what he's hoping for in verses 7 to 12. Hyssop, by the way, was a plant. I understand it had leaves with kind of furry bits on it so it could hold water, and it was used in some of the kind of cleansing ceremonies because it could hold the water and, you know, just in case you're wondering. Anyway, verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The hope is a great one. I will be whiter than snow. That's what he's hoping for. Whiter than snow. Think about what he's done. He wants to see his iniquities blotted out. Like they don't matter anymore. He wants a pure heart. And he knows what his heart's like. He asked for a pure heart. Given uh, his desperate sinfulness, this is a big call, isn't it? This hope. Do you think he's asking for, you know? It's a fairly big ask, would you agree? In the light of what he's done. Uh, we might ask, is it too good to be true, the, this possibility, this hope? Well, the answer is, it isn't too good to be true. And the reason isn't because his sin wasn't really that bad or because it just doesn't really matter. The answer, do you know why his hope is not too good to be true? There's a hint in the psalm, more than a hint, it says it. What's his hope grounded in? You got it. His hope is grounded in the very character of God. Not in himself, maybe not being too bad. It's based in the very character, the unchanging character of God. And he knew it. If you go back to verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God. Why? According to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion that's the basis of his hope the character of God God's mercy alone verse 17 it also says my sacrifice O God is a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart you God will not despise 
his hope is in in the fact that he knows God loves a broken and sorry heart that's the nature of who God is this is the very character of God so David he looks towards this hope of mercy and this new life with confidence because of who God is it's the same for us that's where our hope lies nowhere else and uh, the, again the, the psalm paints these pictures but just to give you another one I thought of um, the devastation of fires and we know that before the floods there were some terrible fires in our state and completely smashing communities but have you driven through a community that's been destroyed by fire like even just a few weeks later and that's I mean you see the, the green uh, the, a picture of hope in the midst of destruction is what we're trying to say uh, we can think of pictures of hope from our own experience up here can't we the devastation that came with the water uh, and then you know those images of you know our fellow kind of human being our neighbour and the tinny coming to save or you know the person sharing with the person who'd lost everything or giving generously so that you might have food to eat or somewhere to stay or hope in the midst of destruction uh, this is about hope in the midst of the destruction our sin has wreaked in our lives and that hope is found in the character of God in who God is that's why we sing praises to him because he's amazing and we'd be in big trouble if he wasn't what a concept that the very God of all creation is merciful and loves humility he doesn't have this standard of righteousness that it, he, he requires for us to enter into his holiness remember we were talking about that he welcomes a humble repentant heart of faith okay I got a bit sidetracked there uh, anyway we're all sinners Romans 3.23 we're all sinners, Romans 3.24, but we are, also, we are also justified freely by his grace through the, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Oh, that's the other thing I was going to say about this. David knew that God was like this from his experience, that God is merciful and loves a broken and sorry heart and accepts that. How much more do we know? that God is like this because we know kind of how the story goes don't we David didn't know about Jesus yet he just knew the promise of restoration and the nature of God from his actions through history with Israel and in his life but we know how God has brought it all together and fulfilled that promise of forgiveness and restoration through Jesus through his death on a cross and through the resurrection the one who is bigger than death and so invites us into that hope how much more can we be confident in our hope knowing what God is like and what he has done for us in Jesus okay will we let here it is sometimes sometimes we don't take sin seriously enough we've been talking about that sometimes though we forget the fullness of the forgiveness that God offers us in Jesus 
And when we forget, then we let our sin continue to cripple us and hold us back from living in the freedom and the new life that God has won for us in Jesus, right? That's another big mistake we can make. We can either not take our sin seriously or we can forget what God has done for us, the wonder of all of that. He has washed us clean if we come to him in repentance through Jesus. We can live in the freedom of life as he wants us to live it. Will we let sin and guilt cripple us or will we be shaped by the wonder of our hope that is sure in him? Okay, and uh, we're getting there. Uh, The hope is a great one. The response is a natural one. Look at um, how David responds here as he thinks on these things. He says then, verses 13 to 15, Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. I think one thing that's interesting here is nothing has actually changed in David's circumstance, kind of like mid-psalm. But it is just as he reflects on and acknowledges and, and understands who God is and what he has done for him in the face of his sin and brokenness, remembering what God is like, that this hope leads him to overflow with this desire to tell others about God. That's his, that's his response. As he understands who God is and what he has done for him, he wants to tell people, right? He wants to teach sinners about God so that they also will repent and know the freedom that they can have. It says he wants to sing of God's righteousness, right? Declare his praise. And this is an obvious, clearly this isn't a duty that he says, I will do this for you, God, if you, you know, because I have to, because you've done the right thing for me. It's not done this amazingly. It's not a duty, is it? This is like, the overflow of his heart. Do you see? As he understands who God is and what he's done. Um, Here's a silly example. I've got a reputation with my friends. They make fun of me because I often rave about things. That's what they say anyway. Rave about things that I like. And so, for example, if you go to the shops and to buy chocolate, there's lots of different kinds of chocolate these days. Is that right? But way back, when I was a little boy, um, there weren't quite so many. And I remember when Top Deck came out. Have I told you this story before? Okay, I can tell it sometimes. Um, And the thing about Top Deck, right, I'm not so crazy about it anymore, but back then, right, I'm thinking, I like white chocolate because it's creamier, right, than normal chocolate. But if you just have white chocolate, it's too sweet. Do you agree? And normal chocolate is normal chocolate. But Top Deck, you got the best of both worlds, right? You got that creaminess, but you've also got proper chocolate. That's an example of me raving, right? I would say things like that. Or if you get me talking about combis, Volkswagen, I can... It's hard to stop me, right? Um, things like that. Uh, they're silly things, right? But just you see... Oh, the other picture there is garlic prawns. I mean, what do you need? Olive oil, garlic, and fresh prawns. And it tastes awesome. And you get some Italian chewy bread to dip in, and that's proper... Anyway. (laughs) 
I've distracted you from the main thing, but you see what we're saying here? I don't want you to be thinking about just garlic prawns. If we like something, what do we do? We talk about it. And that's what's going on here. David is completely overwhelmed by the wonder of his God. And so, of course, he's going to sing his praises. Of course, he's going to tell other people, repent, like you can be, start fresh. Right? That's what's going on here. And, uh, you know, I guess the question that raises is, then if we are not sharing about our faith and about Jesus, what's that tell us? I mean, often our best evangelists are the people who have just recently found their faith because they are so aware of what God has done for them. Over time, we get a little bit forgetful. I don't know. So... Yeah, I mean, if we're not sharing our faith, sometimes it's because we're scared of rejection or we're not sure what to say and all of those things. Those things matter. We should deal with them. But at the end of the day, if we truly get our heads and our hearts around the size and the wonder of what God has done for us in Jesus, then of course we're going to share our faith. So it's just worth reflecting on that. Uh, Okay. Concluding. It concludes with a wonderful picture of the future. That's how I'm describing these last couple of verses verse 16 you do not delight in sacrifice or i would bring it you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings my sacrifice O god is a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart you god will not despise may it please you to prosper zion to build up the walls of jerusalem then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous in burnt offerings offered whole then bulls will be offered on your altar God is not interested in superficial worship or just religious stuff or pretend Christianity to put it into our day. God responds with mercy to broken and sorry hearts. That's what God loves. And so the psalm finishes with a picture. And it's a picture not just of an individual in a restored relationship with God, but a whole community in that kind of a relationship right they're offering righteous sacrifices that's sacrifices that come from hearts that humble as they should be before god right that's the that's what he's really after people enjoying the security and the blessing that he gives to all who come to him in this in this way a real security and real blessing that is bigger than anything that can come against us. Individual response to God is kind of in focus here and is so important. But just imagine for a minute, as we wrap it up, a whole church, a whole community, say our whole church, Lismore Baptist, here we are, worshipping out of truly humble, repentant hearts and showing that this is real in the way we live in the way we relate to each other, in the way we relate to those around us, in the way we relate to the wider world. Um, As together we recognise God's amazing grace, what would that look like, do you think? What would that look like? What What would we see overflowing out of our life together? How powerful do you think that would be for drawing people to God? Uh, through through our community right? 
I mean, I'm sure elements of this are happening. But uh, obviously we can live into this more and more. So let's just finish. Where do we start? Was David a man after God's own heart? That's what we've been saying the last 10 weeks. <laughs> it, it is hard when we think about what he did, isn't it? It is hard. But, the, but this, his prayer in Psalm 51, it reminds us that, that the most important thing that God requires isn't some standard of righteousness though he does care about how we live but what he cares about most is a humble repentant heart that's what God requires Uh, how about we finish by I'm going to read it one more time I know that's kind of like the third time but this can be our prayer today is that can we do that and uh, obviously it's written in response to a very personal circumstance for David but it's here in the book of Psalms because it serves God's people and that includes us as a prayer that we all can say. A prayer of confession, a prayer of repentance, but also very much a prayer of hope. A prayer of hope because of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. When we get to the final two verses about Zion and burnt sacrifices and things, uh, think about our church and our worship and life together. How about that? Um, You might want to close your eyes and silently make this your own prayer as I go. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Oh, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me. And I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. 
Amen.